when you get pregnant, you know, your body takes over and you can't, there's no real control in a sense that you've had previously. And you can't, like you, you need to eat when you need to eat and you need to listen to your body and pull back from exercise. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. Welcome back to the Well Woman Podcast. This is episode 248, and you are visiting us again for our pregnancy series. Now, I hope you're having a beautiful start to the new year. This is January 10th, and we are well and truly into 2024 already. Now, for me, I know that my own pregnancy is soon coming to an end, and this particular topic today has been something that's been on my mind for a long, a lot of my pregnancy, which is like, how can I move my body? Am I moving my body too much? Am I not doing enough? What's the right type of exercise to do? What's safe and what's kind of not safe? And this is why I knew we had to have this chat on this particular episode. And our guest today is Jess Jenkins. She's also joining us during her own third trimester. So we've got two beautiful pregnant women talking together on this show today. Jess is known online as the Mama Physio and currently works in both the private and public health sectors with the practice of pelvic health physio. She's also a pre and postnatal Pilates educator and has been for over 10 years. Not to mention she's had her own Pilates practice for well over 15 years. But Jess is very passionate about pelvic floor health and the disorders that can come from pelvic floor health for both men and women but particularly pregnancy-related conditions and musculoskeletal injuries. So in this episode, we are talking exactly about pregnancy-related conditions, our pelvic floor, and how we can move our bodies throughout pregnancy, also know how to move our bodies before pregnancy arrives so that we can really get the most out of our bodies and feel truly balanced. So we actually go on a few tangents, which is probably no surprise if you're a regular to this podcast, We talk about body image and how our body image changes and how that can also change our movement, how our body is literally growing and evolving from trimester to trimester. And therefore, how we move our body is actually going to need to change too. We talk about what is enough versus what is too much exercise. We talk about how can we know that exercise is really beneficial to mums and what are the top points around that along with the muscular changes that go on in our body throughout pregnancy. It is a massive hormonal (laughs) cocktail in there. And it's really important to understand that our musculars or muscular body is changing as well as growing. So this is a really beautiful episode. I know I took out lots and lots of tips from this with Jess and a few big aha moments, and I'm sure you're going to as well. Jess, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Gemma. It's an honor. Thank you for being here. Two pregnant women chit-chatting about all things movement. (laughs) I'm very excited for that. Before we get started, though, tell us, like, how are you checking in in this moment before we learn about who is Jess Jenkins and why is she here as the mama physio? (laughs) But how are you checking in in your body? Because you're currently pregnant. And how is that feeling for you, you know, in this moment? You know, I've just started maternity leave as of last week and I just think I've noticed a massive shift. I feel so much more relaxed. I've slept so much better over the weekend and last night and, you know, gone out for coffee this morning, gone for a walk, so I'm feeling really good. Mm. Refreshed, it sounds. Rejuvenated and refreshed. Rejuvenated, refreshed. I'm catching up on all the sleep like everyone's recommended. (laughs) Isn't that like just a side note on sleep? How have you managed sleep in your pregnancy? Because that's probably been one of the biggest teachings for me in the sense of like, I didn't know there was so much fatigue. (laughs) Yes, because early on in the pregnancy, I was so fatigued and it was like you slept more, but you felt even more tired. Like it just mm. didn't really correlate with how much you were resting. I And then the other thing was because I felt that I just assumed as I was getting less sleep towards the end of my pregnancy that that's just what happens. But since finishing on Friday, I have had the best sleep. 
over the weekend. So I actually think it's probably more just stress around work and things like that, actually. Yeah. So I'm feeling really good. Great. Yeah. The, the need to let the body knows to just keep pushing because this is what needs to be completed in the day. It's that surrender of like, hey, I'm tired. I might, I can now take a 20 minute nap four times a day if I want. Get guilt free as well because I don't have anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that stage. <laughs> so thanks, thanks for being here and sharing that so far. But tell us, who is Jess Jenkins? And before we hit record, I was sharing with you that it's so important for me, like movement, like movement's been such a big part of my life. I've been quite athletics from a very young age. And I think pregnancy and movement is so misunderstood and slightly misinterpreted too. And everyone's got a different opinion and everyone's got a great reel that they've seen on Instagram. So tell us, how did you become known as the mama physio and working around pelvic health and pre and postnatal Pilates and education around movement? Like, how did this happen? How did you become this? Well, so I, I'm a physiotherapist and, you know, early on in my career, you kind of, everyone knows as a physio that if you don't really like specialize into your niche, your career is really short-lived. So, and I knew as well, I didn't want to be a sports physio. And so I was always really interested in pelvic health, but I think I, you know, with being a pelvic health physio, you're doing internal examinations and everything like that. And that kind of slightly put me off, but I think it was just my immaturity. And then I ended up training and I, I went, did my post-grad studies and I absolutely loved it. It is such an empowering area of physio to work in. And it's such a, it's, it feels like such an honor to work with women through special parts of their life, like through their pregnancy, through menopause, just, I feel like people are genuinely really thankful for the help that I give them compared to like, I don't know, helping someone's sore ankle, you know, it's just so different. So that's kind of how I got into women's health. And then I also, as part of like rehab with physio, we tend to do a lot of Pilates and I come from a bit more of like a dance background. So I really took to that and loved it. And then when I lived overseas, I ended up working for the company that I trained with. And so I was teaching physios, osteos, midwives and things like that, how to do clinical Pilates and how to modify for pre postnatal women. Did that for a few years came back to Australia and then that was the start of COVID. So start of 2020. And that was where I feel like I had this point where I was like, oh my gosh, it's really hard to get work with COVID starting. And it was just a big, big moment in my life where there was a lot of change. And so I even was going to have a full career change and not be a women's health physio anymore, which I'm so glad I did. But that was just one little thought process that I had. And then I had this Instagram, which I had been encouraged to set up whilst I was working overseas. And I thought, do you know what? And I called it the Mama Physio then. And it just had like, I don't know, 200 followers. And I was like, I'm going to start posting because I've got more time now with work and during COVID and everything. And I just love to share, like, I love the response. I was just, it was all about education. People were really encouraging of it. And so it just grew and grew and grew. And that's kind of where it's come today. And I've kind of meshed like the exercise and the clinical Pilates and rehab with the women's health. And then I've just really listened to what I'm always checking in with what people want mm-hmm. and and that's kind of dictated how it's, how it is today. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for the raw truth too, about the whole COVID transition, because seeing like, you know, allied health, you could call yourself in Australia, but like a practitioner, like it's very an in-person experience, especially internal examination for pelvic floor. You can't really test that through the internet, unfortunately. So yeah, I can definitely understand the confliction of like, hang on, is this something that I can keep doing? And how long is the world going to be like this? So I love that. Thank you for sharing. And It's great timing, which was not planned by any means, but I actually went and had my first pelvic floor physio examination yesterday, not yesterday, last week. And so when I was planning for today, I was like, oh, this is great timing, actually, that I get to chat with you. And I think, as you mentioned, there was a lot of hesitancy. It's like, oh, do I want to do internal examinations on people as part of a career? 
because I think that people approaching pelvic floor physios, that's probably one of their biggest fear blockers. Do you see that and hear about that too? Yes, definitely. And, you know, I would never do an examination on someone who didn't consent to it. But a lot of the time I feel like because I really believe in it now and how important it is, I feel like once I have the conversation with someone about it, they're genuinely like, they're generally like, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's do it. No, I really want to do it now because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to get it checked. Who's going to do that ever, you know, and there's so many benefits to it. So yeah, I think, I feel like it is really important to pelvic health and sexual health and so many different things. I really see it as like a preparation for birth process. Like I was saying to my pelvic floor physio last week that, you know, I go and see a Cairo and I have, you know, probably for the last two years, mostly every fortnight, just for a checkup to help ensure that my pelvis is is as aligned as possible to help with the birth canal process for the baby, you know. And most people would have no idea. They just think, oh, my back's really sore, or my spine, something's going on with my neck or my spine, so I should go see my my chiropractor, but it's actually, you can use it for preventative. And I think that's amazing with pelvic floor physio is that you can use it as a preventative, like what's my baseline right now? How, what can I learn about my body currently? And how can I actually work with that to help the birth process, whether that's in six weeks or, you know, three months or five months or whatever it is away. So it was really like enlightening for me. And I like to think that, especially working with the menstrual cycle, I get a lot of questions about pap smears and cervical tests and all of that. And I think people take their pap smear experience into, fuck, what's the pelvic floor experience with my physio going to be like? And they're completely different, completely different. So from a personal experience, I just wanted to let everybody know, like they're fantastic. Anything you want to add to that? So different. I think that's a lot of people will talk about their hesitancy where they've had like sexual pain or pain with pap smears and things like that. Go the the examination is not meant to be painful at all. We don't use a speculum. If it's painful, I stop. And you at any point you can tell me, no, do you know what? I've changed my mind and things like that. And I think once you've once we're really clear on the communication around it, people tend to be a lot more open to it as well. I love that. Thank you for sharing. So, so important. So if you're planning pregnancy in the future, this is something just, you know, ask your sisters or your friends around you, like, did you have a really good pelvic floor physio? Like, who would you recommend? And that's how I found my pelvic floor physio. And it turns out it's the same pelvic floor physio my best friend used, who she couldn't remember the name of. And I was just, <laughs> so it's great timing. But let's talk about movement and mobility. And for me, I, lots, like there's lots that I could share, but I've really seen a big transition of surrender. I'm like, okay, so I used to practice quite very strenuous, hard yoga six times a week. And I've moved into pregnancy being very hypermobile already and having extra relaxing in my body. And I'm even more hypermobile. And so for me, too much yoga is just too much for my body. It's, it's instabling or like, is that the right word? Unstabling. <laughs> so <laughs> I've learned a lot about, okay, how can I bring in different types of exercise that I'm not used to, to support my body through its changes? And that comes with the question of like, am I doing enough because I'm exhausted and fatigued or should I just stop? Or I'm also gaining weight because I'm gaining, you know, I'm growing a placenta and a baby and all these organs and all these bones and fuck, I'm getting fat. So I need exercise. Like there's that whole mental barrier of like, my body's fucking changing and I hate it. And none of my clothes fit. I have to go to the gym. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so talk about exercise. Like what is it that you see in the women that you know, you know, online through online streams or in person and, you know, what's too much, what's not enough, what's good, what's not good. Yeah. I think there's, there's such a variety of people that I'll see, but I, there's still this, the old school way of looking at like exercise in pregnancy is like wrap yourself in cotton wool and stop everything. So like a lot of people who you have been told by family members and things like that, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be running. You shouldn't be lifting weights. You shouldn't even be doing yoga, like just rest and things like that, which I actually think as someone who loves movement and I know all the benefits and everything for it, I think it's actually detrimental to you and your pregnancy to not be moving your body. But it needs you need to listen to your body and change. But that's the hard thing because not everyone is as good as listening to their body as you are 
or me, for example, I feel like, you know, I can, I can kind of recognize, do you know what, in the first, I reckon till the first 14 weeks, I couldn't even walk like five minutes. Like I was so fatigued, which is so hard when you're the type of person who loves doing something like six days a week, hit training, Pilates, running, walking, like every form of exercise to have to actually go, the, my body can't cope with that. And have to also, I really resonated with me when you're saying all the changes through your body, you're having like the hormonal shift in the first trimester with your body changing and you don't look pregnant. You kind of just go doughy with also being like, but I want to exercise, but I'm listening to my body is really hard. Mm. Yeah. It's a battle. And it's, I think it's a conversation that not enough women really open up and have full vulnerability around in the sense that, okay, you know, and I guess just from the background that I know around sports, I used to date an elite and Olympic level preparation coach. So, you know, I've been to a lot of Olympic camps and I've done, I've seen a lot of training. And so I know a lot about the body. I've been a practitioner of my own body since, you know, with competitive sports since I was 16. So for 20 years, I've been really in-depth involved in sport, but it's very humbling. Like when you have an injury and you're like, oh, I can't walk or run because I rolled my ankle or I had my ACL or my knee reconstruction. And pregnancy is like that, but amplified because you can't do anything about it. Or you can do things about it, but you you just can't put the stop button on the pregnancy. Like, I just need a two week break. This is too much for me. It's like, actually that's progression. And it's just going to keep happening and evolving and you can't really, birth is where it ends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to get harder and harder and harder. So you need to make the changes earlier, ideally, to be able to implement the exercise and thing, movement and things like that in through your life. Mm. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that like exercise, if you don't do it, is detrimental. So it's it's really challenging for your body. So do you have any tips about for women who are in that first trimester phase for the first time who are like, oh, my God, well, I described it like there's a leech in my body and I don't know what the fuck it wants anymore. Like it's just totally different. I'm eating way more food than I would normally eat and I can't, like you said, go for a five-minute walk or I'm exhausted. Do you have any tips for those women around movement? Like can we maybe discuss why movement is important through pregnancy and the tips around if you don't feel like moving, like what's the ultimate like let's just call it weekly. Is it like making sure you at least move your body once a week or is it like you need to move every few days? And it's hard because everyone's starting place is very different. Yeah. So I I suppose like if you're looking at the guidelines, they guidelines for exercise when you're not pregnant, don't change till you, when you become pregnant. So you're still recommended to be doing off the top of my head. It's like two and a half to five hours of moderate intensity exercise a week, or I think it's like one to one and a half hours of vigorous. And they've actually changed that now to say that up until about two years ago, they didn't recommend vigorous activity, but we have enough evidence now to know that like continuing CrossFit or running and things like that in your pregnancy is actually safe. And there's so much evidence of how beneficial being active is in pregnancy in terms of not just the physical things, because I think people go, oh, yeah, you're going to keep my back strong, my pelvis strong, my pelvic floor strong. But there's like all the medical things. So you're preventing preeclampsia, preventing gestational diabetes, managing that. Or what else am I thinking? May- <laughs> something major that I was thinking of. But oh, yeah, all, all the mental, sorry, all the mental health Pregnant women have a have a memory loss thing. It's it's a yes. thing. So go, go for <laughs> I blame, it. <laughs> I blame the baby. All the mental health benefits of exercising in pregnancy mm. are so profound. It is so important to be exercising in terms of having a more a better subjective pregnancy experience, but preventing prenatal anxiety, depression, postnatal as well. Mm. So there's so many different aspects, but I suppose I know the guidelines like in the first trimester, I would have looked at that and gone, oh my God, like I am nowhere near hitting that. So I suppose it's more about looking at what is recommended, but then also going, well, I need, you know, exercising isn't just running, for example, there's different forms of exercise and listening to your body through each trimester 
as you're going through. So for example, in the first trimester, I compared to what I was doing, it felt like absolutely nothing, but I was still moving my body in other ways. You know, if I'm, if I'm lying on a yoga mat, watching TV, doing some stretches and moving my body, that all counts. Or for example, getting the stairs at work or even just focusing on trying to get my step count up. Mm, that's a good that one. That all counts as well, even though, because I move a lot at work, especially when I work at the hospital, I'm constantly walking up and down stairs and things. You know, normally I wouldn't include that in my exercise, but actually including that and acknowledging that I'm still moving my body is really important and modifying it. But doing stairs pregnant. It's breathtaking, literally. <laughs> it, it honestly shocked me how breathless I was and how much my heart rate has changed. I agree. Yeah, because I wear my Apple Watch just for work every day and I think my resting heart rate is probably like 20 higher than what it normally is. Mm. And so I will go for a walk down the street and my heart rate is as high as it would be when I'm running pre-pregnancy. So, you know, you really do have to modify everything. And I take my hat off to people who are pregnant and they're still attending body fit classes or, you know, running and things like that. Cause I personally don't know how they do it, but they're obviously feeling okay. I hope, I actually think, I hope you're listening to your body Mm. because, you know, I, I have patients come in and I'm always asking people what they do for exercise and movement and, what I find is a lot of people who are doing those really high intensity exercises in pregnancy actually aren't in tune with their body because they're, they're doing all of that exercise, but then they're like, my iron's really low. My thyroid's off. I have insomnia. I'm sleeping all the time, fall asleep in the middle of the day. And I'm going, well, that actually, that's telling me that you're not listening to your body because you shouldn't, you shouldn't really be feeling that way that you can kind of manage it with what you're doing to expend all the energy in your body. It's so important to highlight that because I think people easily forget that you have, let's say a hundred percent of energy when you wake up in the morning, ideally, unless you have adrenal fatigue or something. And then you need to like, okay, I've got a whole day ahead of me. Everyone's days, hours are slightly different, but I've got a whole day ahead of me. Where's that hundred percent going to go? And if you are taking 30% of that and putting that into, let's just say some very vigorous exercise, doing a triathlon or, you know, there's lots of people who do lots of different things in pregnancy. It's asking, okay, well, afterwards, how does my body recover that day from that? It's kind of like skipping breakfast and then going, how do I feel in the afternoon by not actually starting my day with some protein or some healthy fats? And I think, People can recognize when they don't eat a meal that they can have a crash. Mm-hmm. But when we exercise, we don't often recognize that the crash could also come from over-exercising, even though it's what we're used to doing. But like you said, being pregnant, man, you've got two hearts to pump. <laughs> yeah, you've got four lungs to breathe. You've got two digestive systems to work. And I had a conversation before I pass it back to you with a client who has twins and she's like, oh, my God. She's like, she's had she's had twins and a sing, and a single pregnancy, and she's like the difference between having three hearts to pump versus two hearts is big. She's like, I thought in my in my twin pregnancy that my heart was going to literally explode through my chest. She's like, even just walking was challenging, let alone doing a set of stairs or you know walking a hill. And it just goes to show, I was like, yeah, wow, I never thought about that for twins or you know, multiple, I don't know what the right word is, not multiple pregnancies, but triplets or quad, you know, quadruplets is like, that's a lot on the mother, you know, like you are the energizer. It really is. And, you know, for walking when they're not pregnant, that was probably just a lesser form of moderate intensity, but, Mm. you know, walking when you're pregnant, either with singleton or multiples, that counts as vigorous. And, you know, if we're looking at that total of how much we need per week. If you're like, good on you, if you're pregnant with twins and you're managing like a 20, 30 minute walk five days a week, that's great. You know, you've essentially already hit your exercise requirements. Plus you've got to add in your pelvic floor. Plus you're making sure you're getting a bit of strengthening in there, but you know, give or take that's 
an easy way to hit it because you're already working so hard. Mm. And I think one thing for me is because I, I spend, a, you know, all my work's online, so I spend a lot of time sitting in front of my computer, is that if I don't start the day with some kind of movement, whether it's stretching or like a really slow movement, like cat cows, just to open my spine and like rock back on my legs or going for a very short walk or doing some stairs or I feel like my legs are like elephants by the end of the day. I'm like, these are rhinoceros legs. And I'm like, I just have to get up and go for like a 15 minute walk because pre-pregnancy, you know, I was traveling and I was easily covering like 15 to 18,000 steps a day. And then all of a sudden I come home pregnant and I'm like, oh, I can't do anything like that anymore. So you talked about like also introducing some strength and knowing that it can be different for everyone. So let's talk about what it can look like. What are the ideal movements and what can that look like in each of the trimesters? Because it changes. And I just learned that where I am in pregnancy right now, just before the third trimester starts, that that that's when the body has the lowest iron possible. And I was like, I thought I got past all this fatigue. What is going on? So let's talk about the, each of the trimesters because it does evolve. Is that correct? Yeah, it does. I suppose like everyone's pregnancy experience is different, but if mm-hmm. we're talking generally, yeah. I would say like first trimester, either I'd say like 50% of people feel like they can keep doing what they're already doing pre-pregnancy. And so I would actually encourage people, if you're feeling good in the first trimester and you are love running or you really love going to high intensity classes, there is nothing telling you to stop those. You can keep going and good on you. I'm very jealous. For those, <laughs> for those who, <laughs> who don't have much energy, I'd say, look, you really should be listening to your body and pull back here because you might potentially be dragging out this first pre- this first trimester fatigue really far into the second trimester if you don't. So let's mm. pull back from that and let's do more gentle forms of exercise like yoga, Pilates, walking, even just swimming, things like that. You know, anything that's kind of moving but a bit more low impact, low intensity on your body is going to be good as well as pelvic floor exercises. And I think the other thing to be mindful of in the guidelines, we talk about like strength, muscle strengthening activities. I think everyone's, most people tend to jump towards, oh yeah, I need to be lifting weights. Resistance training or strength exercise is really open to interpretation. And if you're doing a like a series of Pilates movements and yoga and things like that, just body weight exercises, that still counts as strengthening exercises. So I think it's important to know that as well and for people to kind of acknowledge it and not put too much pressure on themselves in terms of needing to actually go to the gym or lift weights that early in their pregnancy or even in the, the whole pregnancy at all. That's a good one. Yeah. And then I think into the second trimester, most people tend to start getting their energy back then. And that's when, if I see some, I tend to see people at the start of the first trimester because I wouldn't normally do a vaginal examination in the first trimester just because of risks. And so that's that's when I'll ask people what they're doing for exercise. If they're not doing much, we'll be talking about that and I'll be encouraging them, you know, Yes, there's so many benefits to exercising in pregnancy and we need to make sure you're moving. Let's see what fits in your lifestyle. Like I'm obviously a big advocate for Pilates, for example, but there's so many people who don't like Pilates and they prefer to do something, I don't know, outside. So many different types of Pilates too. It's like types of yoga. Yeah. 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 So we, we talk about like what's realistic for them, how can we fit it in, and I'll almost like make a schedule with them of what point of their day are they going to exercise? What form of exercise are they going to go to a studio? Are they going to do it at home, for example? But in the second trimester, you can actually do most things. So um, obviously the things I don't recommend are hot yoga or Pilates. So anything over 35 degrees because you're overheating your body or sports where you can like contact, contact sports, I suppose. Like if someone's playing netball basketball, things like that, they'll have to stop. No rugby league. For no rugby. rugby league. <laughs> and so nothing that's going to injure yourself, but I'll encourage them, you know, if if someone is desperate to continue doing their high-intensity classes, 
I'll, I'll give them modifications so that they can actually go and do that because it's going to be important for them to do something that they love. And mental health. That's where mental health is important. Yeah. Yeah. So giving modifications or I like where, where I live, I have like, just, I know all the different studios and places around near me that modify well for pregnant women. So I'll be recommending that or even online. Mm-hmm. And then into the third, and I suppose the other thing as well is I'll say to people, you know, a lot of people get niggles at the start of the, or the end of the first trimester. So it's really common just with the shift in hormones for people to go, oh no, my back is so sore, my hips or whatever. And they really worried that they're going to be like in a wheelchair or something at the end because they're like, I haven't put in any weight yet. I don't have a bump. I'm, I have a friend who has this horrible story about pelvic girdle pain and this happened and I'll. We've always got a friend with a bad story. <laughs> every, yeah. People love telling you their bad stories. When oh, do they ever? <laughs> like, didn't ask for that one, but uh, you can take it back. <laughs> and so I'll say to them, like, look, you've got to put it this way. Most people are going to put on between 10 to 20 kilos in pregnancy. If you don't strengthen your body to be able to cope with those extra 10, 20 kilos, you're going to be sore because that's a lot of weight. Because I would say a lot of people that I would say would not, would tell me that they wouldn't even lift 10 kilos at the gym, let alone having to hold that on your belly all day, you know? So that's a lot. It's a lot. So that's kind of my buy-in at the start. And so I will, if someone's really averse to exercise, I tend to give them a home program and we will literally cut down like, what are the, what is the minimum amount of exercises or maximum that I can give you? It might be three exercises I can get them to commit to. And we'll just start with that and we'll slowly build up from there. And then ideally it means that they can be pain-free in the last trimester and they can continue what they're doing as far along as their pregnancy until the fatigue kind of sets back in. And then you kind of almost dwindle back to what you were doing in the first trimester. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a curve. You're doing the most in the middle and then it would be nice to be able to doing, to be able to do much a lot more towards the end. And I, I actually thought it's, it's interesting being pregnant myself because I, all my energy came back and I felt great, but I, I think I hit 33, 34 weeks and it just plummeted again. And I was going, people told me this would happen. And I thought, no, I'm going to be that person that exercises right up until the day that I deliver. But here I am, but I, you know, you're just cutting back, listening to your body really. And mm. I think the main things you want to include in your workouts are some form of strengthening because we know that's beneficial. It's going to keep you pain-free as well. And then the daily pelvic floor exercises, which is what I will teach people at their first physio appointment. And then we'll make sure they do that the whole way through to the end, unless I assess the pelvic floor and we find it needs a bit of work in terms of it's overactive, for example, and we need to really pull back and be focusing on relaxing and opening and things like that to help with childbirth. Yeah, you definitely don't want an, over, an overactive pelvic floor just before the, the birth canal is about to open the gateways. This is real, like these are great insights. Thanks for sharing. And your own insights that you're like, I thought this is going to be different for me. And here we are surrendering into rest. It just goes to show that the number one thing is to just check in with your body and do what you know your body can do. And moving is, I think for many people, meditative in the sense that it gives them life. You know, people are like, oh, I feel so much better once I've been to the gym or I, you know, I feel refreshed after my Pilates class. It's that when you all of a sudden become pregnant and you're like, fuck, I can't do that one thing that made me feel good. It's like, okay, well, what else can we bring in that can support you feeling good? And so they're really good tips. And it's so funny. I found entering the second trimester and maybe because I'm just, as my Cairo says, he's like, you need to listen less to your body (laughs) because he's like, you know, too. I've just been so in tune with my body for like over a decade. So the, you know, the, the nature of listening is so strong for me, but I could even feel like getting up you know, from bed, I'd get stabbing sharp pains, feeling my muscles separate in my abdominals. And so I was like, okay, this is a lesson that I need to use my hands more than using my abdominals. And I'm sorry, all my life I've used my abdominals to get up on the side of the bed, you know? 
And I think it's a great lesson that your body is really growing and shifting in that part there. And I love how you mentioned about, would you carry a 10 kilo weight around? Because I have easily jumped three dress sizes. Like I had to go buy like the size. Normally I'm like an eight or a 10. I had to go buy the 16, 18 size underwear because I was like, this shit is too tight. It's cutting off circulation. I'm like, I don't need varigus veins. I need the loosey goosey undies. And now they're tight. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going up to size 20. Who knows? Your body is growing and evolving. And so naturally as you evolve, your way of moving needs to evolve, right? Yes. It does. It does. And I think it's funny you say the getting out of bed uh, or off the couch or whatever, and you get the sharp pains in the stomach, because that's one thing where I, you know, what will happen? Someone will get onto the bed in the room, the physio plinth, and I'll get them to get off the bed and they'll go (gasps) and like throw, they'll get some momentum and try and throw themselves up. And then I'll more, I'd say 90% of the time I have to teach people, you know, your log roll to the side, use your arms, but you do need to modify these movements in terms of that's another thing you know, I talk about pelvic girdle pain being common, but everyone gets an abdominal separation in pregnancy. That's normal. That's how you fit your your baby in. But if, if we keep pushing through things where our body is telling us not to do that and the signs would be, you know, pain like you had or doming through the midline, that would be a sign that it's not the most ideal way for you to move. So you should mm-hmm. be log rolling to the side, use your arms or use your arms to help yourself get off the couch and things like that. I love it. I still go to, you know, having been to really strenuous yoga, like used to be a stunga base, but now I'm more, you know, vinyasa, but like very traditional practice base. And so for me, it's so healing just being in the sangha, the community, the room with everyone else. And so there's one class I haven't been to every week of my pregnancy. I didn't really go much at all in my first trimester. It was like when that wind came back in the second trimester. And it's a solid hour and 45-minute class. And I am the sloth in the class. <laughs> like no one else has props. I've got blocks. I've got bolsters. And like I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks. Like I just like being here, practicing, connecting with my breath, doing the poses that I can do alternating all the other poses that I know I shouldn't or can't do. And I don't mind just having a little rest on the floor (laughs) and a little nap for like three postures if I can't do them. And I think, you know, that's, I I wanted to share that as a story in the sense that you can give your body permission to do different to other people in a group class, like modify to what suits you. And I'm very much looking forward to early in the year. So around this time, the time this episode will come out, I'm actually doing, and this sounds crazy, a five-day Ashtanga intensive, right? Now, I'm not going to be doing really the whole practice of Ashtanga. I've done this nearly every year for the last nine years with my teacher, but I just, I'm going to be very big and I just want to sit in the classroom because we, it's, for me, it's the mind and it cracks your mind so open doing that for five days in a row. I'm like, I, I already told my teacher, I'm like, do you mind having a whale in the intensive? Because <laughs> I'm just going to be in the back corner wailing by the door so I can get fresh air. <laughs> and he's like, we always have a whale. And it's true. There's so many beautiful pregnant women every year that go and adjust all of the poses, but go because they're there to embrace the work of deep breathing and they're there to embrace listening to their body and being in a community that feels held and supported. And I think it's just about giving your body permission that you can do it differently. Definitely. And that's, it's a good point because I think it's the goal of going and attending the class is not just to get the pose correct. You know, a lot of the time it's the community, it's the, it's the feeling of, I just got out of the house and like achieved something. Totally or just the breathing aspect of it and things like that. There's so many different aspects to exercise that's important. And so I think just showing up is the first thing really, and then just being open to modifying and not putting pressure on yourself. Mm. And that enters like the pressure where it's like you finished on pressure, but I think it's such a great segue. The body image pressure that comes with movement Mm. and you know, I think a lot of society today is really based around, well, if you eat healthy, you should look healthy in the sense of like having a fit body 
or a slim body, or if you move often, you'll like, you know, I go to the gym to lose weight or I go to the gym to tone up. I go to the gym. It's all about your fucking body image. Then in like insert pregnancy and you have no control over your body Mm -hmm. and the image of your body because that's the whole, you know, surrender to, to pregnancy. Right. And so that enters, and I'd love to get your outlook on this as a physio, but also as a beautiful pregnant woman, because, you know, the thought of like, oh God, I haven't been exercise, I haven't moved my body in six days. And oh, my, my ass is already getting fucking fat. My, <laughs> my boobs are already two times bigger than what they already were. My back's sloping down, like my shoulders are sloping forward to, you know, counteract all the weight that's at the front of my body. Oh, I feel like a fat slob. <laughs> and it's, it's just, hang on a second. Like that's actually what pregnancy is a little bit about. And it's okay you haven't been to the gym or done that movement for the last six days. Well, what could you do today? So what's your out like your outlook and your own personal insight or insight you see from others around body image and moving your body in conjunction with feeling well and healthy in your pregnancy? Yeah, it's interesting because I think it every it all resonates with me because I think, you know, previously. I've always been I've always I've always been a slim person. I haven't really had, felt like I've had to put in too much effort really to be like toned and muscular, but I suppose maybe that's just consistency for like 20 plus years of doing my own type of exercise really. But I think you kind of when you get pregnant, you know, your body takes over and you can't there's no real control in a sense that you've had previously and you can't like you, you need to eat when you need to eat and you need to listen to your body and pull back from exercise, which I found there's right. no detoxing. Yeah, there's no a detoxing. Cause I got married just before I got pregnant and I was like, maybe I'll do intermittent fasting. And then I fell pregnant and I was like, no, 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 this is not going to work for me. <laughs> but you know, I, and I was like, I was talking about this with my partner and I was like, you don't know what type of pregnant person you're going to turn into. Like, am I going to be that person that blows out? I'm going to be, turn into that person who has no energy and I'm going to, you just don't know. And that's the scary bit that you're going from, you know, your body really well to that, just being different really. And just accepting that. And so, you know, I suppose at the end of the day, you've, the changes that occur to your body during pregnancy are meant to occur. So, you know, all the shape changes in terms of, you know, getting a bit more lordotic through your lower back, Maybe, you know, people talk about the pancake bum. It does happen. I've definitely, my bum is half the size and I was very proud of it pre-pregnancy. I've not heard of the pancake bum, but I've got the visual and I think I have one. <laughs> All those physical changes, essentially your body turns into more of like side on, like an S shape, I suppose. You know, you get more rounded through the upper back because on the front as well, you've got bigger breasts. All right. and yeah. And you've got the bigger bump. And so your back corresponds by getting really curvy and then, you know, everything kind of shifts a lot in your body. It's less straight, I suppose. And actually I find treating people as a physio, the people who like resist that and are really like tuck under, stand up really tall, they actually tend to be in a little, in a lot more, like a lot of pain. So they might be coming in and have pelvic girdle pain and things like that. And just with my own clinical experience, I've kind of realized, for example, if I say to people like, let your belly hang out, let your hips tip forward a bit. Now let's have a go test walking around. The pain's gone, for example. Not everyone, but it commonly happens. And so those changes are meant to happen. And actually there's been a lot of research that has come out recently around pelvic girdle pain, for example. And I talk about that a lot because it's like 50% of women have it. And I probably say even more do. It's really common just to get it at some point throughout your pregnancy. But a lot of the research that comes from it is actually, you know, we previously thought, oh, you need to have really stable hips and have a pelvis that was neutral and things like that. But now we know you should just be really leaning into pregnancy and allowing your body to undergo those changes um, physically. So many great insights in that, (laughs) especially like with the body, I feel more feminine in my physical form than ever before. Like it's just such growing a baby is such a feminine art. And I really do like, I'm like, I've never been voluptuous, very similar to you, you know, quite, you know, athletic and and lean my whole life. 
and that's probably from years of moving my body just because I love moving my body without making myself <laughs> run 15 kilometers after a 100k bike ride anymore. Like that was that was a very young young version of Gemma. But it's funny because I feel so feminine now and I'm like, "Oh, I wonder what my body's going to be like after pregnancy." And to add to you just don't know what your body's going to be like through pregnancy. I have a beautiful friend who's got three beautiful children. And for her first two children, she was quite like a lean pregnant woman. She's quite tall as well. And then her last and us big group of friends, we all joke about it, but her last pregnancy, she was like, oh yeah, I just caked it on bad. Like I was like, I put on double the weight from the, like I put on the same weight from both the first two pregnancies together in the third pregnancy. And so I think that's just a health, a healthy story to hear because Every pregnancy is different. And so your body's going to adjust different because every baby's different and their needs are slightly different, even though ideally it's the same. They still grow the same amount of phalanges and the same organs. And But it just goes to show how different the body is and how fucking amazing the female body actually is, right? It is. It really is. I actually, I posted something on my story last night that I was laughing so much at. And it was like, you know, here's my body building a human and lungs and brain and everything. And then it was like, yes, I still have an ankle injury that's still healing seven years later. <laughs> I have to go check out your story right now so I can see that. <laughs> that is, it's so true. Right? Yes. Like yeah. The, the metamorphosis of like cell change and growth through pregnancy is just exponential. And then you're like, yeah, but can you work on that leaky gut that I've been dealing with for the last 10 years? I know. What about this? How can I grow a human, but I've got IBS, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. And I think to pregnancy also therefore provides a really great repatterning for women. And I like to talk about this in my teachings that, you know, it's a death of the version of your body you've known and then a birth of the new version of your body through pregnancy. And then it's also a death at the end of the pregnancy and then a rebirth at the end of the pregnancy too. And so the female body continually goes through this birth death process rapidly throughout each of these trimesters. And then, you know, the pre and then the post and then the post post, you know, when the baby gets to a year old and it's just, it's a wild fucking ride. I'll just say it like that. It's a wild ride, but it's so important to know that, you know, movement is really important. And I love that you're here to share that. So I wanted to also just quickly ask you before I ask you for any tips, Let's talk about abdominal muscles because I think a lot of women have either no idea about this or they're quite concerned about muscle separation. And you mentioned it's just a natural part of pregnancy to make room for the baby and then all the things with the baby and then the placenta, et cetera. So is there anything we need to be really cautious about when it comes to moving? I know you mentioned like being the log and rolling to the side and using your hands to push yourself up. But is there anything else that you would add in for us to be aware of the muscular change that's going on abdominally at that time? Yeah. So the abdominal separation is called diastasis recti. And, you know, it is a comment, like a lot of people are really worried about it because I think aesthetically they're like, am I ever going to have a flat stomach again after pregnancy? Will you know? I ever have abs? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I know it sounds really shallow, but like, I feel that same way too. You know, there's most, and it's valid, but it is really normal for it to separate. What we tend to find though, is it's more likely that there's kind of a point where it can stretch to a, a certain amount and then it turns into everyone's got that swimwear that's kind of like saggy on the bum, like it's been overstretched or something like that, overwashed, and it's a bit saggy. It loses its elasticity. That's what will happen in the midline if it stretches too much. So essentially. Great analogy. Yeah. So, yes, it is meant to separate. I'd say on average most people they'd separate like three or four fingers. Mine's definitely already separated more than that. So I'm like. Jess, it's fine. It's fine. But <laughs> knowing what I know, fuck. <laughs> but, you know, it is totally normal to separate that much and it will easily go back together within a few weeks after delivering the baby just because it, it maintains that recoil in the tissues. If we do certain things that promote extra pressure into the midline when we're pregnant, so, for example, things that make your stomach dome, so that would be, you know, jerking yourself forward to get up off the couch or out of bed or 
there's certain exercises, like exercises that use your core quite a lot. So for example, planks, sit-ups, rollbacks, things like that. There's a point in everyone's pregnancy when they'll start doming. So some people, it might be like 12 weeks. Some people manage to get to 30 weeks and they're still doing planks and they look great. You know, some, I probably got about halfway through and then 30 weeks of planking. Really? On toes? Yes. Yes. So, and and there's so many different factors in it, but I think once you see it, that's when you have to listen to your body and modify. So for example, if someone was exercising and they were doing planks and it was doming, I'd say, well, put your knees down. If it doesn't dome with the knees down, great. If it domes with the knees down, then we need to go to four point kneel, for example. And we just need to keep modifying everything. The other thing that will be put a lot of pressure through the midline is if you're really, really, really tight in your obliques because your obliques are like the side of your abs and they'll almost like tug on the midline. So the other thing that's really important is making sure that people are stretching a lot through the sides of their belly, like lots of stretching. Yeah, like lots of like mermaid side stretches. Stretch. Yeah, and like I love just like hanging in the door frame essentially. Like you hold, hold both hands and hang <laughs> over. You know, even I, I put on belly oil every night, and, and then when I do it now, I actually like massage my obliques and things like that. Mm. And I find when I work with patients, I can I can get like a two three centimeter change in their separation just by like doing manual release to the sides of their abdominal wall. That's like, crazy, huge. Wow. So I think so. I think like you know making sure that this is why you need to modify your exercise. And then I can kind of reassure people, you know, if you do that, and then in the first six weeks, you support your body with like compression garments, things like that. Belly binding and. Yeah. 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 Then, you know, you're, you're more often than not going to be totally fine when you get to your six weeks check and we'll reassess then. Wow. Didn't know about the obliques. That's wonderful. Great little tips. And I think, you know, it's you can't avoid it. It's like you can't go through pregnancy without a little, like without separation. Like it's just part of the process. And so it's just learning, hey, this is part of it. Just like giving birth is part of it. However you choose to give birth or have a, however birth eventuates, having some muscle separation is also part of it. So what can I do to support that? So they're really good tips. Thank you for sharing. Now, what tips would you give mums who are used to doing all the exercise, but all of a sudden that's changed now. So what tips would you give them before we wrap up? And is this, they're still pregnant? Yeah, they're pregnant right now. So pregnant mums who are used to like me doing all that yoga, you know, plus swimming and walking at the beach and doing stairs and riding my bike. And that's just the lifestyle I live on the Gold Coast. So that's just what we do here, but well, what I do here. But going from that to being pregnant, like what are the best tips at helping manage the transition and the movement? Yeah. So I suppose like one thing is like when people are doing all the exercise, say you can like if we modify everything, you can continue to do all the exercise, but you just need to tweak a certain things. So there's like the there's only a little bit of guidelines that we kind of need to abide by, I suppose, in terms of staying healthy is that, you know, if, if it's causing pain, obviously I'd be modifying. If it's doming, I'd be modifying, you know, the core work. If, if it involves lying on your back for extended periods of time, I'd be modifying. And then if it involves being, you know, potentially going to bump your bump or being a really hot room, I'd be modifying. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I normally write those down when I'm telling people put it into an email and then we'll kind of look at the forms of exercise they're doing and go, okay, you're cycling. Great. You can keep cycling until right through to the end, until there feels like a point where you will know, you'll know in your own body where you'll go. For example, if you're, if you're cycling on bike lanes, generally that's yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a point when people are cycling on the road where they go, do you know what? I, I'm actually worried now. And that's when they need to pull back. And I'd say, if you want to keep cycling, go to the, like, go on a stationary bike, buy one of those things at home. If you really want to do that. If someone is running a lot, they can keep running as far through their pregnancy until, you know, generally what will stop them is they leak 
or they have some pain. So, you know, that's when that's the point when you need to listen to your body and pull back. Lifting heavy weights we know is completely safe. But again, there will be a point where one of those things that I listed will kind of prop up and they'll have to modify. You know, I do a lot of Pilates. A lot of Pilates involves core work lying on your back. Same with mm-hmm. your, I suppose. Yeah. We need to modify from lying on your back, but it doesn't mean you can't go. And I'll talk about the most common moves that we need to modify. And I might say, if you feel confident modifying yourself, these are the ones you need to modify or make sure you go to like these recommended studios. So it's just about kind of giving people options rather than going, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And then people will have a better experience in pregnancy. And it kind of gives you a sense of not freedom, but oh, myself, like I I can still do the thing I was doing, you know, because once that you've had bub, that's going to change a little bit even more. And like you said, lying down, like I know for me lying on my back, I haven't laid on my back since really the end of the first trimester. It just felt like I could feel the bulge of the baby, even though it was so small. And I just was like, no, this doesn't feel good for me. And so instead... I prop myself up and I have this little like recliner in the yoga class now when mm-hmm. no one else is doing the whole laying on their back sequence. I prop myself up. I get a nice little chest opener, you know, and then I do one side and I get a bit of a lateral stretch and, I, and everyone else is like, I want to do that pose. And I was like, well, you're doing the other one because that's what you're <laughs> here for. <laughs> and it it's good. Thanks for giving everyone permission to like, you can make adjustments and progressively make them not just have to cut them off. Exactly right. Yeah. And then I think people feel so much better about themselves in pregnancy and all the unknown when they can kind of keep doing all those things that they really love doing day to day. This has been so beautiful, Jess. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this with us. I've learned lots of little things too, and I'm sure everyone else has learned a lot of stuff. How can people find you to learn more about your amazing videos that you share? (laughs) Because you do share so, some amazing videos. So you can find me on Instagram. It's at the.mama, so M-A-M-A dot physio. And I've actually just launched an online pre-postnatal pelvic floor core workout program as well. So you, I've got a another Instagram for that, but you can find it on my main one as well. So for anyone, I know Pilates is not everyone's form of exercise, but if you do like that, definitely check it out because it's that plus combination of like education as well. I love that. And even though for me, I'm not, I'm more of a yoga person than a Pilates person. I love only doing Pilates when I go away. So when I travel, I just do Pilates. When I'm at home, I practice yoga. And so in pregnancy, it's given me a really good excuse to practice a little bit more Pilates. So try something you're not used to is what I would say to everyone, but I'll pop those links in our show notes. So thank you. Now I have one final podcast question. This is going to be challenging. (laughs) What is one thing you wish you had have known about pregnancy and the transition into and through pregnancy that you wish you had have known before you got to pregnancy? Oh, oh my gosh. I told you it was going to be challenging because I'm like, I've got 50,000 things. That's challenging because I feel like I, I'm i exposed to so many pregnant women who, like, tell me absolutely everything. Mm. I think what I wasn't prepared for was the hormonal roller coaster I would go through in the first trimester and how much harder it was not telling people that I was pregnant. I think I felt honestly, like I knew the hormonal shift would be hard, but I'm not, I'm not really a moody person anyway, you know, throughout my cycle, you know, maybe my husband might disagree with that, (laughs) but um, I just didn't, I was not prepared for it. I think people talk about it, but I wasn't prepared for it. And I think the moment I decided to tell someone that I was pregnant about nine weeks, oh, it's just like the biggest sense of relief. So I feel like just, you know, in that aspect, I would probably be recommending because I think people recommend don't tell people in the first trimester purely just, you know, just in case something happens. But then if something did happen, do you want to you want to have people to share that with and talk about and in all that? So I think that's probably the first thing that springs to mind. Mm. I love that. Thank you. It's a whole nother topic why people don't talk <laughs> about it and why they could or maybe why they don't want to. Anyway. 
amazing. Thank you for sharing your one thing you wish you had have known because mm-hmm. um, there's probably many things you could add to that list. But Jess, this has been amazing and I'm so, so grateful that you're here. Have the most amazing maternity leave and wishing you the most easeful, graceful welcoming of your bub earth side. Thank you. I hope so too. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.